episode of Transformers Chronicles. I'm Delvin, aka The Dark Web. What makes it special? Well, I'm glad you asked. Last episode, we covered the Man of Iron series, which spanned two issues of the Transformers. Rather than get the numbering off and triggering my undiagnosed OCD, I talked to the crew and we decided to use Transformers Chronicles 34 to cover the Headmaster series released by Marvel on a bi-monthly basis from March to September 1987. Why are we covering this series? Well, a lot of the characters featured in this book will be tying directly into the main Transformers series very, very soon. And we didn't want to leave anyone in the dark as to who these characters were and where they came from. We also didn't want Pat and Maggie, our resident novices, being completely confused about who these characters were either. Rather than talk a super long time about all four issues, we being Pat, John, Maggie, and myself, are going to each give our separate opinions on what we thought of the series, high points and low points, whatever we individually feel like, includes them all together. And that, folks, will be Transformers Chronicles issue 34. Quick series credits for Headmasters 1 through 4. Cover price for the series was $1 for issues 1 through 3. For some reason, issue 4 was 75 cents. The writer was Bob Budiansky. Pencils were by Frank Springer. Inks were by Ian Aiken and Brian Garvey. Letters for issue one, Diana Albers. Two and three, Patrick Brousseau. And issue four was Jack Morelli. Colors were by Nelson Yomtov. Editor was Don Daly. Uh, Transformers Headmasters issue one. Cover credits go to Bob Budiansky as penciler. Ian Aiken and Brian Garvey were inkers. For Transformers issue two, Frank Springer did the covers. Inker was Ian Aiken and Brian Garvey. For Headmasters 3, Frank Springer, Ian Aiken, Brian Garvey, Pencils and Inks. And for Issue 4, cover credits go to Frank Springer, Penciler, and Brian Garvey as the Inker. Here's a very quick synopsis for the entire series. Fortress Maximus has had enough of the war on Cybertron, feeling the Autobots and Decepticons were locked together in a war without any end. His plan? Leave. Where? Nebulos, where Fort Max's hope is that he and his Autobot contingent can live in peace. <laughs> yeah, right. Problems start immediately. While Galen, a peace-loving Nebulon, is accepting of the Autobots, Lord Zarak, not exactly the friendly type, is suspicious from the start and wants the Autobots gone. Though the Autobots try everything they can to persuade the Nebulons, eventually Zarak finds a way to get the Decepticons to come chase the Autobots away. In the process, technology allows some of the Nebulons to transform to become either the heads of the Autobots or Decepticons or weaponry of the Autobots or the Decepticons. The result is devastating to the peaceful planet with destruction abound. Seeing that the Decepticon leader Scorponok has completely overwhelmed his mind towards destruction, Lord Zarak's final sane act is to free the Autobots he captured. Both sets of Transformers, plus their Nebulon counterparts, leave the now-ravaged planet off to planet Earth, where they uncovered a distress beacon that both have reasons to now pursue. <gasps> 
And with that out of the way, here's what I thought of the series. Overall, the thing that really surprised me the most about the series is that it felt very political. And I'm not going to go necessarily into the politics of the whole thing. What I'll say is you could honestly see both sides of it. There was three sides to it. Well, four, right? Autobot Decepticons, Lord Zarak's faction, and Lord, excuse me, Galen's faction. And I understood where Fort Max was coming from. The man was just completely tired of war and had been fighting the same war for millennia. And he just wanted gone. I get that. I also get that Lord Zarek, having lived on a planet that was peaceful for 10,000 years, might not want anyone else coming in from the outside to disturb that peace. So I can understand why he may have a little bit of xenophobia going there. And I can understand why someone like Galen, who is fully embraced in that peace, would be accepting towards new life forms that came to the planet and wanted to be accepting of them. A lot of those notes just seem to ring true to a lot of the current events that are going on today. And I couldn't help but take note of that. Just speaking of the uh, issues themselves, I, I give the Autobots, Fort Max and crew a lot of credit because they did definitely do everything that they could to preserve the peace and try to be peaceful with the Nebulons. I mean, the act of literally taking off their heads and rendering themselves immobile or inert just so the rest of the Autobots could continue to live in peace, that was truly noble. And I thought it was noble for Galen to accept that act, but Zarek just wasn't having it. Those He had machinations in place and I thought that Bob Budiansky wrote Zarek well in that while Zarek sort of had, he had kind of selfish motivations and he was xenophobic, but he had, he was crafty and he manipulated things behind the scenes. And, and as soon as the Decepticons got there, Zarek should have realized the mistake that he made, but he was so determined and then became influenced by Scorponok once he merged with him and became his head that he didn't realize he was in over his head until it was just too late. And so Zarek kind of had a tragic end of sorts. I mean, he, he acquitted himself somewhat by freeing Galen and the rest of the headmasters uh, to free up Fort Max and the rest of the robots. But it, it was it was too little too late because he was too far gone into a path of wanton destruction and mayhem. But at the end of the day, at least they went off planet. Now, unfortunately for Earth, both of the factions of Autobots and Decepticons now are coming to Earth to join the battle anew. And who knows where the heck that stands. Um, just a little bit about the whole creative team. I thought that, I mean, Bob Budiansky, he, he's, he's a good, he's a wizard. He knows how to just combine uh, those storyline factions. In my mind, it's kind of like a what if of sorts. What if the Autobots and Decepticons came to Earth present day. They didn't have the disadvantage of crashing on the Earth four million years ago and then waking up to see it. They immediately knew what they were getting into. So that made things just a little bit 
tilted and put things just a little bit on his head. Bob did a great job with that. I really liked Frank Springer's artwork. Uh, there were sometimes he took a few shortcuts like with the combiners. Uh, there was Computron who were the Technobots combined and there was Abominus who were the Terracons combined. I thought both of those just thoughts were drawn a little bit lazily but overall having the Nebulons look human while convenient I was fine with and it was kind of cool that they created a world similar to Earth but definitely had its differences. I thought a lot of the robots were well drawn. I'm a big fan personally of Fortress Maximus. Over my shoulder in my office, I have a photograph of Fortress Maximus uh, that's well drawn. Big fan of his. Uh, and he's going to play a big role in the main Transformers series, as well as Scorponok and a few other of the players. But we'll leave some of those surprises for when they come up in Transformers Chronicles. Overall, it was a good series. If I had to rate the series overall, I'd give it an 8. It introduced some very important characters in the drama. There was good action throughout, but it turned out to be a good political drama as well. So I definitely am complimentary of the series. Glad that I took time to read the four issues. And I think that they were a very good addendum to the Transformers series as a whole. The Transformers will return after these messages. Greetings, Gothamites. Lane here. Asking, does the world really need another Batman podcast? Well, of course it does, he's Batman. However, rather than tackle Batman in comic books, movies, or television, my podcast, Batman Books, The Dark Knight in Prose, will follow the caped crusader via the written word, where the only pictures are those formed in the imagination. Each season, I choose a different book to delve into, and each episode dives deep into a few chapters at a time. So join me as I explore the streets of Gotham between the covers of novels and novelizations in Batman books, The Dark Knight in Prose. We now return to the Transformers. Hello everyone, Pat DJ Cristados here with my brief thoughts on the Transformers Headmasters miniseries. Since we did issues 33 and 34 in the last episode, Delvin asked that we cover the Headmasters miniseries for episode 34. The only stuff I know about the Headmasters was maybe the names that I knew that was tied to Transformers, but I really didn't know what Headmasters was all about. So I was kind of interested to get into the series and learn a little bit more. And boy, I did learn some more, I guess. There's a lot of new Transformers and there's a lot of new Decepticons and some new people from Nebulous. But before I get into my thoughts on the story, let's go ahead and quickly talk about the covers. Out of the four covers, the first issue was penciled by Bob Budiansky. The other three were penciled by Frank Springer. All four are really nicely drawn. I personally like the first issue that was done by Bob Budiansky, and I also liked the fourth issue, and it has Hot Rod with a target to my thoughts on this series. I wasn't really sure what I was going to get into in starting this series. The first issue has a lot in it and reminds me of the first issue of the Transformers original series, where it's just a lot of name dropping, a lot of buildup that's going on. And it had me thinking, are they doing this? Like if they had the chance to remake that 
and learn from what they did in there to make the story a little bit better. Possibly, I think there's more interaction with the human side of people on here, the, the nebulous people, uh, than what there were with the people on Earth when the Transformers came to Earth. But I think there's a difference there is that the Transformers came and then they slept for a long time and then they woke up and now they had to figure out how they fit into this world. Where in this one, Fortress Maximus and his pals, they just want to leave and they're like, hey, we're all done fighting. I'm tired of fighting on the Cybertron here and fighting the Decepticons. Let's just find a different place to hang out and just relax and not do anything. So, you know, they go to this planet of Nebulus and go down and, and meet the people. And you get to see some political stuff going on between the Nebulus people, between the leader and some of the other people that are on the, the board or the committee, what have you, with Galleon. To me, also was a little boring. And so it's made this story start off really slow for me. Then the second issue where Zarak calls out to the, get the Decepticons to come to the planet to help them get rid of the Autobots and yada, yada, yada. They come and start to cause some trouble. And so then we start to see some action start to happen. And we find out, you know, at the end of issue one, where Fortress Maximus just says, you know what, in good faith, I'm going to, you know, take off my head and just plant it here and you can do with it what you want. We're not here to harm you. You know, I can't do anything because my head's not controlling my body anymore. So we get to see that, the, you know, with Galleon and his team, in order to save his planet, he needs to team up with the Autobots to protect them against the Decepticons that are there now, trying to, to destroy it and just take over the whole planet for themselves, which is a pretty cool idea. And I'm wondering, what if that actually happened on Earth? Could we do that? Could a human have meld with the Autobots in some way? You know, I, I think they kind of did when um, Buster got control and was able to control an Autobot for a while. So I, I guess it's, ha it's, it's doable. So after that, the story, issue three and four, started picking up. There was more action going on. There was a lot of fighting. There was a lot of combiner bots as well, too, happening. I still don't know all their names. Just so much names being thrown at me as a newbie. Um, so it's, it's something that I think I need, like, yeah, you can give me all their names, but slowly introduce them to me again. It was good. It was nice to see Hot Rod. I'm like, oh, I know Hot Rod. So I, that was an Autobot that I liked and, and could understand. The rest of them, I didn't really know too well. I really like Fortress Maximus. I think he's a really cool leader. And I hope when they get to Earth, he, you know, he becomes a leader or, so, or something that I think he, it would be well worth, worth to see him be that way. Overall, I think the story was pretty good. Interesting. Like I said, uh, it was a different take on the original four miniseries. And I like how they built up here. There's this technology that we have from a long time ago that Galleon was working on and the technology that the Autobots brought over and combining that to make the Target Masters were pretty cool as well, too. So all interesting concepts, but I'm wondering how it's going to affect things back on Earth with the normal Transformers. That is something that I'm definitely interested in finding out how this all plays out. I guess we're going to have to wait till issue 38 from what the end of 
the miniseries said, but I'm definitely in. I'm going to see where it goes. As an overall rating for this one, I'm at a 7. Like I said, it was slow moving for me, but I understand what they were trying to do. You know, you had to build this world of Nebulous. You had to build a little bit of the Autobots and the Decepticon teams all together in what's happening. I understand that. I'm giving it a 7. As far who had the touch in this one, you know, I want to say Fortress Maximus just because, you know, he he gave up his somewhat normal life just to prove that they weren't there to hurt anybody. And then with Galleon, who was willing to do what he can to protect his planet, even if it means him and his girlfriend aren't getting along so well, and, you know, he gets duped by his girlfriend's dad, who then just goes after him because he's just wanting to just get rid of the Autobots on the planet so that they can have the planet back to the way it is. And I don't think he really liked Galleon to begin with. Anyway, as far as who was less than meets the eye, well, that's got to be Zarak. Again, you know, he was a kind of conniving, sneaky little guy. But in the end, he helped out a little bit. But now you can see that he is just getting so possessed and overrun with the Decepticon, with Scorpionot, and just going down a wrong path that I know that he, he actually really knows there's no way out of it. But the only way he could get out of it was to help out. And then after that, he succumbed to the you know, the dark side, the evilness. Hopefully it all kind of plays out in the series to come. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how that is. I'm wondering if, will there be a human that can then transform or be a headmaster's now? Will Buster become a headmaster? I don't know. I'm interested to find out. Thank you all for listening. And remember, freedom is the right of all sentient beings. Till all are one. The Transformers will return after these messages. It was the early 1990s. The Dark Ages. The Transformers toy line was over. Finished. Without toys in the shelves to advertise, the comic book series created to sell them was likewise cancelled after an 80-issue run. Then, the impossible happened. I didn't believe you. I thought you were lying to me. Transformers were back in toy stores, and, perhaps even more importantly, Transformers were back on the comic book shelves as well. But this run of Transformers comic proved to be somewhat different than what we'd seen before. I can implode neutrons! All of a sudden, the battle between the Autobots and Decepticons threatened to have real consequences. That was a low-yield neutron implosion! That was also the precise location of our transport! And brawn! Exploding off of the comic book pages with darker, grittier storylines and vibrant, some might even say, neon colors. The, the very first thing I noticed was a very 90s art style. Truly, this was not your father's Autobot. Not Your Father's Autobot is a 13-episode, limited-run podcast beginning in early 2021. Join me, Mark Baker-Wright, also known as GB Blackrock, and my brother, Nick Wright, as we go through the entire Marvel US run of Transformers Generation 2, issue by issue, as we look at the series that brought Transformers back from oblivion. After this series, Transformers will never be the same. 
Look for Not Your Father's Autobot on Podbeam via blackrockstoybox.blogspot.com or wherever podcasts may be found. We now return to the Transformers. Elsewhere, aboard the Rod Pod, John M. Wilson, that's me, has been trapped in the Rod Pod with John and Maggie Schaefer-Hames, and the three of them are adjusting to their new status quo. Let's see what the two people named John, with whom I'm trapped in a spacecraft shaped like Rodimus's head, are talking about. Better not be Superman again. Okay, okay, but at the end of the day, I think we can both agree that Man of Steel is a perfect Silver Surfer movie. Yes! I absolutely. God, I can't believe we've been arguing about Zack Snyder movies for four days nonstop, and we respected each other's opinions and agreed more than we didn't. Which just goes to show that the best arguments... They should all be conducted in a vacuum. You guys are so weird. No, a vacuum, because we're in space. Are you going to keep doing that? Yes. Yes, he is. Ah, oh, John. Why Why did you you say that name? name? Oh, Lord. It's your name's name, whatever. Jonathan. Why did you say that? Oh, uh, what? Delvin left a message on the space phone asking about when we're going to contribute our headmaster's commentary. He was really polite about it. Too polite. Oh, right. I need to get around to doing that. Yeah, okay. Right after I do the headmaster's thing for Transformers University. John, that episode came out like a year ago. It did? Well, then why do I still have this string tied around my finger? God, I got so many strings, I don't even know what the hell they're for anymore. Anyway... I'll tie a string around my finger to remind myself to record that thing for Delvin. Oh, no, you need to get this done. You've got time now, and it's not like we ever record any Rod Pod episodes. Oh, all right. Here, help me get my thoughts together on this. Okay, I can help. All right, so we're talking about a four-issue miniseries called The New Toys That You Can Buy in 1987, the miniseries. It's also known as Transformers Headmasters. Uh, Hasbro was rolling out its first toy line since the 1986 movie and wanted to showcase both them and their new gimmicks in a huge way. More gimmicks than just turning from one thing into another thing or combining with other robots to make a big robot? Oh, yes. Because Hasbro was riding on its, uh, let's check my notes here. They've got their lackluster movie performance, their decreasing TV ratings, and the alienation of the fan base by killing off their favorite characters and making them cry in the movie theaters. So it decided to, you know, strap on its wax wings and launch itself toward the sun. Yeah, from this point on, the gimmicks come pretty hard and fast and they get a bit insane toward the end. Uh, but these first few are pretty interesting and cool, like the Headmasters. What's their deal? Their heads transform into humans or human-like aliens who have been turned into cyborgs who can act independently of the robot and also either control the robot or are part of the robot, depending on how you look at it. I don't believe you. Oh, yeah. And in the cartoon, since RC didn't have a toy at the time, they thought it'd be cool to make RC into a trans a Headmaster as well. And so they paired her up with her... Um, friend Daniel, whom she takes care of like a mother, but then they get like weird implied romantic feelings about each other when their headmaster joined. Yeah. I don't believe you. No, no, no. It's true. And also, okay, check this out. So the headmaster's cartoon takes place in the future because the movie is like 20 years later, even though the comic takes place in the present. And the anime also takes place in the future, but they do an entirely different origin for the headmasters that involves, get it, teeny tiny transformers 
who are trapped on this world called Planet Master, and they they can't survive, so they build larger robot bodies for themselves to turn into the heads of. And since they're turning to the heads on Planet Master, they're called the Headmasters. I, I don't, don't believe, believe you. you. <laughs> <laughs> so the cartoon had its own way of introducing these concepts, uh, several ways, <laughs> and the comics uh, had theirs. Never one to go the simple route, Marvel brought back Frank Springer, uh, the penciler of the original four-issue miniseries, to draw a new one and had Budiansky, Aiken and Garvey, and Yamtov write, ink, and color the mini, as well as do their duties on the ongoing series. Uh, the result was part of the high watermark in the Budiansky era. Now, in issue one, after an amazing rescue scene on Cybertron, which reminds us of the best parts of issue one and issue 17 and 18, Fortress Maximus decides that he's tired of war. The guy with the guns built into his knees is tired of war? Uh, he doesn't really have the knee guns at this point because he doesn't really have a lot of things that he eventually will. In a lot of ways, this mini is the tragic story about how Fortress Maximus is forced by circumstance to engage in more and more extreme forms of body modification until he starts just having things added to him because there are spare parts lying around. I mean, how else is he supposed to get to be the biggest toy in the entire G1 line? God, he was huge. I still drool over his toy every time I see it. Uh, Fortress Maximus, newly formed or newly formed pacifist, announces to the Autobots that he's going to fly off in a giant spaceship and anybody that wants to come with them can do so. They're looking for a new planet to start a new way and get away from this eternal war. Hey, that sounds familiar. I think I read that in a comic recently. I didn't even realize it until reading through it this time, but they lift that idea completely from Lost Light, even the point with him giving a speech and all of that stuff. It's definitely mentioned to, to reference this. It's kind of cool. And plus, you know, they serve a similar purpose in both this and the eventual Transformers ones, because having a giant ship with a whole bunch of characters on it, then you can just suddenly have a character show up and, you know, months later and say, he was on the ship the whole time. <laughs> so they don't have to deal again with, well, I guess Optimus um, Creation Matrix, another one, or the Space Bridge is here again. You know, now they just Oh, finally... no, Spanner! <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, and this, is, this is where, like, the cast of characters becomes a lot more loose. Like, suddenly, after this point, Transformers just exist and show up and, and have always been there. Yep. Saves a lot of time. Just don't think too hard about it, folks. Here, they, they fly to Krypton. I mean, Nebulos. Or actually, probably more Zen Law, if they want to bring up a completely different Superman Silver Surfer parallel. Because the artwork is very much um, old pre-crisis Krypton or Zen Law, you know, pre-Galactus stories. And it's kind of an interesting riff on those stories in their own twisted way. But he and Fortress goes, Maximus is also bald, so it works out. It's a futuristic and peaceful planet, and a tragic series of errors and misunderstandings ensue. Um, Highbrow comes across two Nebulans who are engaging in the Nebulan activity called Acting Out Rodan's The Kiss. Seriously, they look exactly like The Kiss on a different planet. And one is scared and gets accidentally injured, and so Highbrow gives him holographic message of peace to take back to their leaders, because conveniently, both the Nebulan language is the same as both English and the Transformer language. So that saves us some time later. So they decide to take it to their capital, which is conveniently really close by. The leadership council meets and we meet Galen, who is the good guy who wants peace, and Lord Zarak, who is the bad guy who wants war. Spoiler alert, they each find some similar-minded buddies. 
And then Blur comes by to try the whole we come in peace thing again. But then Zarak sends one of his cronies to zap his arm with a magnet ray, which causes his arm to hit a sculpture and it causes a big spear part of the sculpture to fall down and go and scare a whole bunch of uh, a crowd of people. And that's enough to rile up everybody to the point of war spurred on by Lord Zarak. Everybody's ready to throw down. They dig up their old ancient war machines and Fort Max competes pretty solidly with Optimus Prime in terms of quotes that resonate and tells everyone that we must be brave enough to wage peace. I still can't get over this. The first issue of Phase 2 that I fully saw him in, he kills two Decepticons that he had just met two panels ago. Well, you know, Fortress Maximus has a lot of layers. He's kind of like an onion or pie. He's, he's the onion transformer. Parfait. Everybody likes Parfait. That's true. Parfaitress Maximus. Parfaitress. <laughs> get on that, Dairy Queen. <laughs> Here, he and the Autobots, um, whose names all have a head reference, so highbrow, hardhead, chrome dome, and brainstorm, all walk to the city's edge with a bunch of people who are going to have something to do in issue four behind them. And they all walk to the city's edge and remove their heads, placing them on the ground and making their bodies useless. Wow, this guy heard about Optimus Prime and was like, hold my head. (laughs) Galen accepts the surrender, saying there will be no war today. So the story could have just ended here and Nebulas would have kept on living as Nebulas with these five robotic statues situated outside the city. Yep. And that's the end. That's just weird. I don't really know how this was a peace overture. Yeah, it's like... (laughs) Ah! (laughs) It does make for a dramatic cover because that issue one has Fort taken off his head and it's like, what? Why is he doing that? Oh, it's how he makes peace with people. (laughs) You know... Handshaking, bowing, removing one's it head. It does seem like there were several other things he could have done before he went to that point. But, you know, he doesn't go halfway. He's He's gone with pacifism. He's going all in. Issue two has the Decepticons that were looking on Cybertron for what happened to Fort Max accidentally discover where they went and take off after them. Uh, then here's where we fully get introduced to Scorponok, who is one of the better examples of this toy is cool. I'm going to write him cool that Bob Budiansky does in his whole run. Um, he is a really, really cool toy. Uh, there's so many cool versions of him and I have none of them. <laughs> That's too bad. The, o- the only drawback to him, because he does look great, he's a scorpion robot who turns into a scorpion man with scorpion arms. I just don't like how he doesn't really have a face as a, as a robot. His He has like a weird partially covered face. That yeah. It's his scorpion head. Yeah, I get what you mean. I just like his, his giant scorpion attack mode. It's just pretty neat. He will kill you. All right, so the bad guys are on their way to attack Nebulos' capital, but the good guys catch word of this. But since the terms of their peace treaty, which apparently happened in between panels, um, don't allow the Autobots to take up weapons again, uh, but they find an Air Bud level of there's nothing in the rules that says we can't, uh, Fort Max suggests they go with the Headmaster process. Which is what now? That's when the Nebulans undergo this really horrific body horror cyber surgery which looks like it turns them into people in armor but if that were true then the insides would be so gross and disgusting so no we're just going to imagine that instead turns them into like little robots with human heads who can then transform into big transformer sized heads which attach to the transformers and once they're up there like sitting on the necks and the shoulders they can sort of like pilot the transformer which you know, makes the Transformer fight better and, and shoot straighter. I still don't believe you. Every word of that was accurate. 
A human alien transforms into a head, gets on top of a headless Autobot, and it makes him shoot better. How? Because of binary bonding. It's super fancy robot tech. Binary just means two. It obviously means that there's a person and a robot. Well, we didn't know that. We thought it meant something computery. Oh, Lord. Anyway, the freakish monstrosities chase off the bad guys, and everybody is happy except Galen's girlfriend. Galen had a girlfriend this whole time? Yeah, there's a whole plot about it. It turns out badly, and it's just you kind don't of... Say. Yeah, just kind of every now and then it's like, and Galen's girlfriend's here, and, and they're further getting pulled apart. It's like, you already completely cyborged up your body. I think you pretty much ruined any any aspect of that going anywhere well and at first she doesn't like her boyfriend because he's helping the transformers and she's against his her dad because he's like being all warlike but then she totally changes sides because it's like well at least my dad's fighting for nebulous mm-hmm. <laughs> she does get hypnotized a little bit i mean she's a woman in her in a sci-fi comic from the 80s she's not exactly gonna have agency Exactly. We weren't allowed. We couldn't be trusted with agency. No, you couldn't get credit cards or agency. Or, yeah, anything. So in the interest of preserving Maggie's remaining sanity, uh, we're going to go through issue three, uh, which is insane, three as briefly as possible. Uh, This issue has two sets of combiners fighting and the newly headmastered Autobots continuing to dominate battles. And so Scorponaut decides to appease his troops' bloodlust and hatred of the fleshlings and exterminate all the nebulans. This he will accomplish with a machine that it hypnotizes people and draws them into machines, which will put them into bubbles and spit them off into space. So this leads Hang to... On. Yes. He's got a standing army of killer robots who want to kill, but he goes with an overly complicated 1960s Dr. Doom plan? That's just the Decepticon way. I mean, did Ratbat go simple when he wanted to steal the world's gasoline? No, he went with hypnosis and stealing the gas three quarters of a tank at a time and also a car wash, which he voluntarily titled the Car Wash of Doom. So the sign of a good Decepticon plan obviously will involve hypnosis and bubbles, either soap-sized bubbles or robot-sized bubbles, but you need the bubbles. And how? I love this issue. The Autobots manage to destroy the machine, but not before the Decepticons have allied with Lord Zarak and the other bad humans and are now headmasters themselves. Because if you follow the laws of comic books, since they all just got their new powers, and because the plot needs them to, the Decepticons are going to be just like just a little bit better than the Autobot headmasters, and so the Autobots are forced to flee. Oh, then in issue four, Hot Rod, Cup, and Blur undergo the target master process. Does Rodimus lose his head too? I kind of hope so. Nope, just his weapon. Does that get replaced by Human Alien 2, which somehow makes him better at shooting? (gasps) How did you know? You start to pick up on these things after a while. But after a bunch of fighty-fighty, the Autobots realize that if they leave the planet, the Decepticons will follow them. At some point, they had received a message from Goldbug. Uh, We'll find out more about that in a couple of months. Uh, The Autobots then leave, and the Decepticons follow them. And Galen even throws rocks at his girlfriend's all, go away, I don't even want you anymore, before he leaves. Yeah, at some point we found out that Zarak is being mind-controlled by Scorponok, and eventually they basically merge to be one mind. It's really creepy. I still don't really understand how the headmasters work. Thanks for helping me out with that stuff. Now I just got to figure out how to put this all down and get it to Delvin. Upload complete. Now. Oh, well, that was easy. That's the show, folks. Please come back and join us for the next episode where we discuss Transformers issue 35, where we return to the original storyline where the fate of Blaster from issue 32 is revealed. 
Longbox Crusade is in a lot of places, y'all. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon. Search for Longbox Crusade. You will find us. YouTube channel, we're adding more and more things by the day. New podcasts are popping up on the YouTube channel. We would love for you to subscribe. We also do a do it live stream once a month, every second Sunday. The live stream Come Out to Play, a new Warriors podcast that I host, is coming out every second Tuesday of the month at 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern. There's a voicemail you can call. 707-532-5269. That is 707-532-LBOX. And you can also email us at contact at Longbox Crusade. Special shout out to the Crusaders Club members. We appreciate your love and support. If you'd like to join Crusaders Club, go to Patreon and join us at $1 a month. And we will give you a lot of stuff. And I think that you will be very glad that you spent that buck. You can find John and Maggie over at Married Watching Cartoons or The Rot Pod. Check out either one of those podcasts. I highly recommend it. On The Rot Pod, they cover IDW Phase 2 Transformers comics in order. And Married Watching Cartoons, they take turns showing each other cartoons. Pointing your podcaster to Married with Comics seems to be the best way to find it at the moment. So you can check it out in all the podcast places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible. You can find John at MWC underscore podcast on Twitter. And Pat can be found at Christatos01 on Twitter. And I can be found on Twitter at DEE underscore RAY1977. Please come back for Transformers Chronicles 35. See you next time. And remember, freedom is the right of all sentient beings to all are one. You got the touch. You got the power. You got the touch.